This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Good afternoon to you, Jason Kong, with the pleasure to be here with Mary Lucas representing Transitions Life Care. Mary, how's it going? It's going. It feels like springtime. Very excited about that. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah, after the last couple of weeks of just rain and cold and gloom, um, yeah, I'm glad that we're at least mixing it up a little bit. Yeah, what's that shiny sun in the sky? I'm like blinded. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mary, uh, we're, we're squeezing it in here at the buzzer, but it is uh, – Heart Month, and we're paying attention to cardiac issues and health and nutrition and things to uh, ways to keep our heart healthy as well as our bodies as well. And we're going to have a fun discussion with Bonnie Wilson, who's a registered dietitian with Advanced Care. Uh, Bonnie, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I have to agree with both of you guys on the sunshine. It is very, very nice. Nice sight to see, I have to admit. <laughs> yeah, I was very confused when it came out this week. I was uh, <laughs> a little alarmed. Um, so we're finishing up heart month here. I thought no better way to round it out than talking about some heart nutrition. I want to chat with you a bit about um, some of that. It seems like COVID has me going in the wrong direction. I'm stress eating and, um, you know, I've added some more wine into my diet. Uh, Maybe you could start us off by talking about what are some key nutrients and vitamins that support heart health that we should be making sure that we're getting daily and what kind of foods cover those? Absolutely. So some of the key nutrients when we're talking about our heart and our, you know, the most optimal heart health, the big two that I tend to focus on when I'm talking to clients are omega-3 fatty acids, which are basically what we call our healthy fats. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we're going to find those in foods like fatty fish, like salmon or tuna. And we can also find them in some plant-based foods like nuts and seeds, especially walnuts or flax seeds. Mm-hmm. And then a couple different oils like flaxseed oil or canola oil. Um, so omega-3s, those are, those are a key nutrient here for our heart. And then the other big one is going to be fiber, which I know we've all heard about fiber and the importance of fiber. Um, but fiber is really, really important for optimal heart health. And we can find fiber in many, many different foods, especially fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and legumes like beans or lentils. That's really good advice. I know this kind of sounds like the Mediterranean diet. Have you heard of that? I've, I've, I hear of these trend diets that are happening, keto and, um, and Mediterranean, but the Mediterranean kind of feels like it fits in there with the fish and the oils and vegetables. You know, it's funny you ask that because the Mediterranean diet, diet is such a tricky word because mm-hmm. really all it means is the foods that we take in on a daily basis. But the way that we've spun it, Right at this point, is when we think diet, we think you know some type of trend or fad. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you ask about the Mediterranean diet, really that is an overall healthy eating pattern, and it's really not a diet at all. And you're absolutely right; we, we bring the Mediterranean diet pattern up quite a bit. It's a heart healthy overall diet to follow. Good. Well, I've been looking at that, so I'll take that advice. <laughs> yeah. are, are there any foods that we should be avoiding for our heart health? You know, I really try and stay away from the word avoid or Mm -hmm. eliminate because I feel like it puts us in this all or nothing mentality. 
which really doesn't do anything good for our mental health. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to limiting, that's that's the term I like to use is limiting. It's really going to be fats that are more solid. So if we think about our animal fats, those are going to be your saturated fats or your unhealthy fats. So if you think things like full-fat dairy or a big juicy hamburger or, you know, maybe some bacon or salami, things like that, those are going to be foods that we're going to be trying to limit. Mm -hmm. And then also, of course, you know, our very refined sugary foods, right? So like cookies, cakes, candies, sugary cereals, those don't tend to be good for our heart in excessive amounts. So moderation is okay on that. I can still have a little bit of ice cream. Just don't go for the whole pint every night like I've been doing with COVID. I'd say do have that little bit of ice cream because we find that if we don't have that little bit when we're craving that little bit, you know, it almost ends up being counterproductive because then we might end up binging on that ice cream later on, right? And eating more than we intended to in the first place. Yes, that's a great point. Um, if there are three things that you would say to have in your fridge, what would they be? Ooh, that's a great question. Three things to have in your fridge. Okay, number one would be eggs. And I think eggs get a really bad rap, especially when it comes to heart health. But eggs are a nutritional powerhouse. Yes, we shouldn't eat them excessively, right, because they are a pretty good source of saturated fat. But eggs are a great, affordable, nutritious option to keep in your fridge. I would also say Greek yogurt. Mm. Greek yogurt is a wonderful source of protein and really is a versatile food that you can use at meals and snacks, even as a great alternative to sour cream. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And then number three, honestly, my best tip and something that has really helped me through the pandemic is... excuse me, some type of pre-cut fruits or vegetables. Mm-hmm. I find that if you have them in your fridge and they're already cut up, you're going to be a lot more likely to actually consume them. That's a great point. I, I look at the grapes in my fridge sometimes and they're not washed or, you know, they're just sitting in the bag and I'm like, oh, I'll do that tomorrow. <laughs> I'll eat this pretzel exactly. instead. <laughs> Much easier. Exactly. We end up reaching for the convenient food in that moment, right? Right. Definitely. So the big question right now, is a glass of wine a day really okay? <laughs> you know, with the research that we have these days, yeah, there are some nutritional benefits to red wine. Now, what I will say is to get that therapeutic benefit of the resveratrol, mm-hmm. which is that phytonutrient in our red wine, we'd have to drink quite a bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that being said, yeah, absolutely. A glass a day for women, two a day for men is considered moderation. Good. How important is adding a little bit of exercise into this mix? Is it something we should be doing daily? And is it okay if it's just a walk? Oh my goodness. Walking is the best. It's honestly my favorite form of exercise, just getting outside, getting some fresh air, especially during this pandemic. It's definitely not something that's required every day or expected every day. It can really help, you know, just to get outside every day again for your mental, mental health since so many of us are cooped up inside. But ultimately the goal that has been set by the American Heart Association is that we all aim to get about 150 minutes a week Mm. of some type of cardiovascular exercise. So you can break that up, 
you know, whatever works with your schedule. You know, I tell people, find a way to make it fit. So if that's three days a week for 50 minutes, you take a nice long walk three days a week. Maybe you have five days a week for 30 minutes that you could fit something in. And really, it's just finding something that gets your heart rate up that you can really enjoy and get into. I think with the sunshine, it makes it a lot easier to go on a walk with the dogs. They're loving it. (laughs) It certainly does. Yeah, when you have a dog that's begging you to take them out, that always helps, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So what does Medicare and do most insurances cover nutritionist services? I think it's something that's an untapped benefit. Is it covered by most insurances, though? Absolutely. So at Advanced Care, we take most insurances. There's only a really small amount that we don't take. Um, So we encourage everybody, we we verify everybody's insurance benefits ahead of time and let them know if there's a copay involved or anything like that. But a lot of the time, um, this service is covered 100%, and that does include Medicare. Certain conditions are covered by Medicare at 100% as well. Great. And one last question for you. What does an appointment with a nutritionist entail? Are you guys meeting in person right now or is it telehealth and how does that appointment kind of go? Yeah, great question. So we are doing a little mix of both right now. Um, We have offices, I want to say all around the triangle, but at this point we're spreading throughout the state, which is awesome. Um, Many of us are going into the office about once a week. So for patients that have that need or really don't like telehealth, we we can do that. We can make that work. But for the majority of our patients, we are doing telehealth. You know, this does work for a lot of people um, for their schedules or if they don't really want to go out in public right now, it makes that access so much easier. Um, And the first appointment is an assessment. So what we do is we get to know that patient, what their goals are, what they see for themselves, what they've done in the past, really get to know them so that we can tailor any recommendations that we have, any work we do with that patient, really tailor it to that individual. So usually that first appointment is really a fact checking appointment. It's getting all of that information. And then we always set some short-term goals. And then typically we'll meet up with a patient a week or two after that first appointment to really get down to meal planning, label reading, you know, chronic disease information, anything that patient is really wanting to learn about usually comes in with those follow-up appointments. We find that follow-up and that accountability tends to be really key checking in with somebody, going over your goals, going over your successes and your barriers can be really, really helpful helpful through this process. Yeah, that's some, those are some great tips. Bonnie, thank you so much for your time today. She is Bonnie Wilson, registered dietitian with Advanced Care, and you can find more information online at advancednutrition.com. That's A-V-A-N-C, Nutrition. Bonnie, thanks so much for the tips. Uh, I'm proud to say I have all three of those items in my refrigerator. (laughs) I may not be the one in the house who consumes them, but uh, I I think I I made you proud there. (laughs) Absolutely. You're off to a good start there. Excellent, excellent. Bonnie, thank you so much. We're taking a quick break. We'll be back with more. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPT. News, talk, traffic.
This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas, and we're uh, shifting a little bit here, but we're going to continue with our focus on Heart Month here as we are at the tail end of February. And really, any excuse that we can have to bring on friend of the show, Mark Philbrick, who's the Director of Education at Transitions Life Care, we, we love to do that. And we're going to have a discussion about heart failure at the end of life. Mark, thanks as always for coming back on the show. It's great to be back. Thank you. I think heart failure sounds like such a extreme condition. And I think that there's a lot of myths. I know we just did myths and facts with you, but there are a lot of things out there that circle around about heart failure. And I want to kind of clarify that with you today. So let's start at the very beginning. What is heart failure and how big of a problem is heart failure? Yes. Thanks, Mary. Um, First, I wanted a disclaimer to let people know that I'm not a doctor, (laughs) nor do I play one on television. (laughs) I am a registered nurse. I've been a nurse for 45 years in a variety of clinical areas, uh, but my primary focus now is in palliative care, hospice, and end-of-life care. Uh, but I promise that I'm going to put my whole heart into answering your questions. Um, and I really think as part of Heart Awareness Month, I want the listeners to understand how amazing our heart organ is. Um, Most people may not realize this, but I think the heart is the hardest working muscle in your body. It is constantly working. Um, In fact, it beats about 100,000 times a day. And today, your heart will pump about 1,800 gallons of blood through your body. Um, Wow. That's 36 million gallons a year. And over the average life expectancy of 78 years, your beat heart will beat over 284 billion times and will pump 51 million gallons of blood through your body, which would be the equivalent of you filling up 25 Olympic swimming pools with blood. So the reason I say that is when you think about how hard that works, it's a miracle that doesn't fail all the time. Mm-hmm. So um, it is a, a hard, hard-working organ. And basically, I think it's important for people to think of an analogy of your heart is the pump that pumps the blood to the body and keeps everything else alive. And it would be equivalent to like your house. You know, how much we take for granted that we turn on the faucet and the water flows and you get in the shower and the water flows and you flush the toilet and the water flows. Mm -hmm. If the water pump in your house, house begins to fail, you don't get to wash your dishes, you don't get to take a shower, and you know what happens to the toilet. So um, when I think of heart failure, it is a sort of a a process where that organ can fail. And, of course, like a a pump in the house, it has electrical parts and it has mechanical parts. Same thing with the heart. Most heart failure is when the organ begins to fail, either the valves, the electrical system that pumps things to the heart, or the flow of the uh, heart itself. Mm -hmm. So um, it is a big problem. About 20% of Americans, one in five of us, will develop heart failure over the course of our life. And there's about 650 new cases of heart failure diagnosed each year, which means that 
more than one person per minute in our country will develop heart failure. Wow. And one in ten Americans over 70 already have heart failure, and it is the number one cause of hospitalization of people over 65 in the United States. Um, also, those people who have been diagnosed with heart failure, the mortality rate first year is about 20%. So about one in five people experiencing heart failure will die within a year, and half of Americans who have heart failure diagnosed will die within five years. Um, so heart failure is when the pump of the heart begins to, to fail and um, weaken so that either blood doesn't flow or blood begins to back up in the body, which causes all sorts of symptoms and complications. Are there different kinds of heart failure? I know we've talked a little bit about the common causes. I mean, we can touch on that a little bit more in this as well. Um, but how how does someone know that they have heart failure and what kind of heart failure they have? Uh, yes. Uh, some of the common causes are why does it happen? There are literally dozens of different causes of this. Um, some of the most common are uh, myocardial infarction. You heard MR, MIs which is basically a fancy word for heart attacks. So when somebody has a heart attack, the muscle can be damaged and then it doesn't pump as efficiently. The other common cause is hypertension or high blood pressure, which is putting too much stress on the heart. Or valve disease, the heart has different valves that open and close as the blood moves through. As those weaken, that can cause problems. Also infections, alcohol abuse, can cause changes to the heart, the liver, and the brain, and also overuse of drugs such as cocaine that increases the heart rate can damage the heart. But it can be affecting many people in many different ways and different ages. So some of the ways we think of heart failure is there's two major types, and that's diastolic and systolic. Um, like blood pressure, when you hear you've got a blood pressure of 120 over 70, that upper number is systolic, which is when the heart is pumping, the high pressure is when the heart is active, the diastolic, the lower number, is when it's resting. So if the heart can't squeeze the blood out because it's getting weak, that's one cause of heart failure, or if it can't relax, then that's another cause of heart failure. So some of the signs and symptoms that we see also depend upon what side of the heart is affected. And one easy way to think of this is the left side of the heart would affect the lungs. So some of those symptoms would be pulmonary congestion, where you get buildup of fluid in the lungs. So coughing and wheezing, um, fast breathing could be some of the symptoms. Uh, other signs of left-sided heart failure would be restlessness, confusion, uh, increased heart rate, fatigue. Um, also cyanosis, another fancy word where the blood is not flowing all the way out. So their fingernails would be purple or toenails or toes get purple, showing that there's a lack of circulation. If it's right-sided failure, then we see sort of abdominal swelling, large liver or spleen, your jugular veins and your neck would swell as pressure builds up. Uh, you would see sudden weight gain, even though you're losing your appetite. There may be stomach upset. Um, so there's a little bit difference. And one of the key symptoms also is ankle and feet swelling. Mm -hmm. So when you see people who can't fit on their shoes anymore, they may be wearing slippers or socks around the house because their feet are swollen. 
that is a key sign that they're in right-sided heart failure. That's that's exactly what we had with my grandpa. He started complaining about not being able to get his feet in his shoes, and we realized we had a problem. And, and I know we're going to go next session into a little bit of how we can help, but um, before we get there, I wanted to ask you one last question in this session. How how What are some other ways that someone – loved one can tell that you have heart failure? What should we be looking out for and how do we manage it? What basic symptoms and um, should we be looking for? Well, the New York Heart Association really says there's four stages to heart failure. The first stage where there may be structural damage to the heart, but it's too soon to really notice any symptoms or um, any limitations. As it moves into the second stage, you'll see symptoms where ordinary activities, such as walking upstairs or going out to get the mail, you begin to have some limitations, you get fatigued. And as it moves into the third stage, um, even minimal activity, you'll begin to see uh, shortness of breath, fatigue, weakness. Um, and then in the advanced stages, the fourth stage, even while somebody is sitting or resting, they're still having these um, symptoms that are, are really uh, difficult for them to get around. So um, some of the key indicators where someone should be reaching out for medical help with a family doctor or cardiologist is that they find themselves having to sleep on a lot of pillows because when they lay down, they have a hard time breathing. Um, their everyday activities like walking up the stairs, they begin getting fatigued much quicker. Uh, the other key would be sudden weight gain um, and it's not like they just ate Thanksgiving dinner. So they have fluid buildup, and they gain four or five or six pounds in a two- or three-day period, but they're not eating any differently. That's signs that they're retaining fluid. Mm-hmm. And the last one, as you mentioned about your grandfather, their ankles are swelling. They're having a hard time uh, putting on their shoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are some warning signs that we all need to look out for when it comes to our loved ones and be sure to act quickly if we do come across them. We're going to continue our conversation with Mark Philbrick. He's the Director of Education at Transitions Life Care, and we will do that right after this. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care. Find more about Transitions Life Care online anytime at transitionslifecare.org, transitionslifecare.org. I am Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas, and our guest on the line is Mark Philbrick. He's the Director of Education at Transitions Life Care, and we're having a discussion all about heart failure and Mary, just before the break, we were discussing uh, some of the warning signs and basically what heart failure is, but we're, we're going to take a little bit of a deeper dive here. Definitely. So now we know how to spot it. I can look at my grandpa's ankles and say, we've got a heart failure problem, but now let's move into the medical services side of things. Mark, what kind of services besides seeing a cardiologist might be able to help somebody with heart failure? Yeah, that's really a good question. Um, 
first, I do want to say that we are really fortunate here as being part of the Research Triangle Park because we have literally nationally and world-renowned cardiac centers here. So certainly your family practice doctor, your general practitioner and cardiologist would be the first step um, because Wake Med, UNC, Duke, you know, whether you prefer your color in red or different shades of blue, <laughs> uh, either way, we have great cardiologists in the area. But it does hit a tipping point where other medical professionals could be of service as this progresses. And one of the key services that we offer are transitions and also some of the hospitals, and that is palliative care. This is a specialty that helps care for people who have a serious illness like heart failure, where the focus is relieving these symptoms that are distressing to the person, like the difficulty breathing, the weight retention, uh, fatigue. Um, so the goal of palliative care is to increase the quality of the life for both the patient and the family. Um, palliative care sometimes is not well understood, but the way I think about this is, for example, if you went to your family doctor and they realized that you had some type of heart murmur or heart problem, you wouldn't be surprised if they referred you to a cardiologist who specializes in heart disease. Well, we also get referrals from the cardiologist who understand that stage three and four of heart failure, symptoms begin to progress, and that's where a palliative care specialist who specializes in symptom management can be added to the team to help improve the quality of the patient's life. You know, I I will never forget this moment. I was having lunch with my grandfather, which I regularly do um, pre-COVID, um, but he he ordered shrimp, an appetizer, and he loves bang bang shrimp. So he ordered this appetizer he always gets and he started scraping the breading off the shrimp. And I was like, what are you doing? Because that was so unusual for him. Um, and he was like, well, my um, Connie, Connie told me not to eat this. And I was like, what? And he, he had started palliative care that week. And Connie, his nurse practitioner had gone through his refrigerator and helped him find the things that uh, were causing him to go into heart failure crisis and end up in the hospital. And since we've started palliative care with him, he's actually stayed out of the hospital and we were regularly there every six months or so. She's She has really pinpointed things that are causing him problems, like don't order Chinese food. Um, you know, there's too much sodium in this and don't eat the breading on your chicken or your shrimp. Um, and it's been so helpful for us to really see the whole picture and uh, full person care and, and also help us understand as a family and his loved ones how we can better care for him. Um, so it's been a huge help for us in managing his heart failure. I mean, he's 94, and we haven't been to the hospital in two years, which is amazing. Yeah, it sounds like Connie would be the bane of Bojangles. Um. <laughs> <laughs> he is, he was a little mad about that because he does love a Bojangles biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> but I did want to uh, explain a little more in detail because palliative care is a board-certified specialty. Just as the Iker cardiologist is board-certified in cardiac care, Palliative care physicians are certified to help manage symptoms and also provide hospice care when the person's beyond cure. Uh, but the palliative care team not only involves physicians, but as you mentioned, nurse practitioners, registered nurses, social workers, spiritual care people. Um, so it's a full team of folks that work not only with the patient themselves, but also helping the family understand the illness, how to help manage this, and provide emotional and spiritual support in addition to the physical care of the patients. 
Absolutely. I think something that palliative care also does so well, and you've mentioned it, is um, they help prepare you for what, when there's nothing else to be done, what's next. Can you talk to us a little bit about what what do you do when there's nothing medically more that you can do? Um, what other help can you receive? Yeah, that's uh, the next important part of this is during the initial consult with palliative care, they, they work with the patient and the family to really establish what is the baseline what are the goals of care for this individual? And assessing what their current quality of life is and how to best maintain that and manage their symptoms. Now, this is typically done through a, a family meeting where they bring everyone together. They assess how much the family understands, what their concerns, their worries and questions are, so they can begin developing a, a plan not just to immediately deal with the symptoms, but the inevitable impact of this disease because heart failure is um, in almost all cases not curable and will become terminal at a certain point and stage. So uh, the discussion then turns to advanced care planning, healthcare power of attorney, do you want life support, the realities of CPR and the ineffectiveness of that in these type of conditions, Mm -hmm. but also then uh, moving in toward hospice care. And the discussion of hospice care comes when their condition has been determined by their doctor that they have six months or less to live, and then a whole team of people are uh, mobilized to help that final stage of life. So how does someone prepare emotionally and spiritually? There's a lot going on here. How do you prepare for handling all of this? Um, Really good point. Part of the team, both in palliative care and in hospice, are licensed clinical social workers who help uh, the patient and the family through navigating their emotional um, states as they face end of life. Uh, They do life review with the patient to understand uh, the meaning of their life, the purpose, what they're wanting to resolve before their um, final days come, Mm -hmm. and spiritual support. So we have spiritual care counselors that really help them, again, navigate any spiritual distress they're going through. You know, sometimes people can be angry with God or whatever um, spiritual uh, struggles they have of understanding uh, their illness and how will this happen or what's going to happen to their loved ones. So by having those hard discussions as we come closer to the end really helps people understand uh, better how to manage this. Definitely. And so we kind of come full circle here. After someone passes, is there additional support that can be put in place um, for their family? Because it do- I feel it just doesn't end there. You know, someone, a caregiver has been taking care of their loved one for so long. What does that support look like after they pass? That's uh, one of the really important features of hospice care, that it doesn't end just at the death of the patient. But grief support is built into the hospice benefit. Uh, I did want to say that anyone 65 and older who's on Medicare, hospice benefit is 100% covered under the Medicare benefit without any co-pays. But part of that support is getting grief counseling for 13 months after the death of a loved one. So they will be getting contacted by a grief specialist. These are masters prepared people in grief counseling. They get monthly letters from our grief support team as well as readings that are appropriate for the different phases or stages of grief that they're facing and access to one-on-one counseling should they need that. 
as well as a group counseling. We do have support groups for different types of losses. So people who have had a loss of a spouse or a loss of a child or a loss of a parent uh, can navigate this grief journey with other people with similar challenges that they're going through. Um, and our Transitions Grief Care support is free to anyone in the community. You don't have to be a hospice a patient or a family to benefit from it. So it's a, a wonderful service and I uh, highly recommend. I've gone through it myself with the loss of my father and my brother, um, and it was extremely helpful to be able to process my feelings and navigate that grief journey, which is not a, a quick and simple process. Mm-hmm. He is Mark Philbrick, the Director of Education with Transitions Life Care. Mark, it's always educational and informative whenever you join us. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Glad to be here. Don't forget, you can always learn more by going to transitionslifecare.org, transitionslifecare.org. We're taking a quick break, but we'll be back with more. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas, and we're now turning to long-term care as we uh, continue, you know, hopefully we're getting towards the latter stages and the, the turning point here mm-hmm. in the COVID-19 pandemic. But uh, life still continues on and making decisions when it comes to long-term care. Uh, that hasn't changed. Well, it's, it's changed a little bit, but it's still there. We still have to make those decisions. And to discuss more about this, we are pleased to welcome Wendy Marsden. She's the marketing director with Capital Nursing and Rehab, which is part of Liberty Healthcare. Wendy, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you so much, Jason and Mary, for having me on the show. It's an absolute honor to be um, part of your show today and to hopefully bring some light to a very challenging and and scary topic um, as we're currently in a pandemic. So I'm hoping to be able to provide some education um, in selecting long-term care facilities, maybe give some advice and some questions to, you know, ask when you're looking um, into exploring long-term care and hopefully be able to also just find shine some light on the day-to-day life of a skilled nursing facility during the pandemic. Definitely. I think that you you, bring, you used a really good word there, light. And I think we're all seeing this light mm-hmm. at the end of the tunnel, and it's not the train. <laughs> um, absolutely. It, it has absolutely. been such a tough year for so many people. So I want to start off, how are you guys doing, and how is the facility going? And have you guys started and had any vaccine clinics? Yes, the facility is doing great. Um, you know, it was, it's, you know, from to think that if we, we look back to a year ago, this just started a year ago, and here we are you know, almost a year later, um, and vaccines have arrived. Um, our facility actually started vaccinating our staff and our residents on December the 28th. We've wow. gone through two complete rounds of vaccination, and we have a third clinic coming up um, actually next Monday. So we're super excited. Um, our staff have been um, very excited and eager to receive the vaccinations, and, and so as our residents and families have been on board with the vaccination so that we can to return to some normalcy again. So um, we are happy that the, the time 
the time has changed and here mm-hmm. we are and we are vaccinated. That's such great news. I, I know that there's been a lot of trouble out in the community making sure vaccines are out there. So that's really good news that everyone at your facility is getting vaccinated. Mm-hmm. What is the world like right now in the skilled nursing setting at, at your facility and, and kind of the community in general? Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, for skilled nursing facilities, um, we still are under restrictions as far as indoor visitation. Um we are still um, allowing outdoor visitation at the facility. Um, so we have um, assignments set up where families can come and visit with their loved ones. They typically are done like in one-hour increments um, so that they can visit um, with their family member. We do those in one-hour increments. So that just gives an opportunity for us to be able to sanitize, you know, the area in between mm-hmm. visitations. Um there is also opportunities um, in certain situations where families are able to enter a facility. Um, those are It's called a compassionate care visit. Mm-hmm. Um, those are very specific guidelines that a resident must meet to be able to have a compassionate care visit. We had several residents who have qualified for those visits. Um, but the majority of our visits are done um, outdoors currently. Um, we're hoping soon to be able to get some updated information from CMS and CDC um, now that the vaccinations have rolled out and we're looking at the majority of skilled nursing facilities being vaccinated, what those new visitation policies are going to look like. So we're hoping soon to be able to hear some information about that. I think you busted a big myth right there in, in talking about some of your visitation policies because I think so many mm-hmm. people in the community are hearing that you can't see your loved one if they're at the hospital or at a facility. And that just sounds like that that's not true. There are ways to do it and you're doing it safely in every day. Absolutely. And it goes above and beyond those outdoor visits as well. So many facilities have um, different forms of communication where they still have the ability to communicate with their loved ones um, and kind of, you know, have that bridge of communication between the facility and the residents. Um, there's some facilities that offer ambassador programs. What an ambassador program is basically a department head or a manager who has been assigned to that resident specifically. They typically call the families on a weekly basis, um, give them updates, kind of be that bridge to the family. Um, they can set schedule those outdoor visits. Um, they can do FaceTime. A lot of facilities have Skype capabilities. They have tablets available that are readily available for residents to use um, via FaceTime, Skype. Um, So, you know, there still are multiple other ways for families to be able to communicate with their loved ones. Um, And those are just some of the examples, you know, across multiple skilled nursing facilities Mm -hmm. that they're doing um, beyond just those outdoor visits as well. I can imagine that during this pandemic, it's been really difficult with the restrictions that have been in place um, from the state and from CMS uh, at facilities that it's been really difficult to tour if if someone is thinking yes. about going to a facility for long-term care yes. um, or short-term rehab. Is it reasonable mm-hmm. for families to ask for a virtual tour or what kind of tour situation are you guys right. doing right now? Right. Absolutely. So th- there's multiple ways for families to be able to to be educated in picking a skilled nursing facility during the pandemic, the biggest advice that I have to anyone that I ever talk 
um, too, is research. Research, research, research is the most important thing that you can do. And there's multiple ways that you can do that. Um, you touch point on um, virtual tours. Most facilities do have websites that are readily available that provide photographs. Um, some provide virtual tours. You'll see video testimonials. Most also typically have a direct link that will get you right um, to the admissions or marketing team at that facility, or you can speak with them via email or phone. Um, secondly, utilize the Internet. Um, CMS has a great website for families to research. Um, if they go to Medicare Nursing Home Compare, and I can actually give everyone that website address, it's medicare.gov backslash care dash compare. Um, you can look at any skilled nursing facility in the United States of America. You can basically just put in the information that you're looking for. If you're looking for a specific geographic region, you can view that information about that skilled nursing facility build your data so when you do have those conversations with that skilled nursing facility, you have talking points that you can speak with them about. Of course, word of mouth is a huge resource that we have. Um, you know, reaching out to your church, um, your church pastor, a lot of churches have parish nurses that have a lot of expertise in skilled nursing facilities, your friends, your family, you know, relationships that you um that you can build off from them to be able to give you good information of experiences they've had in the past. Um, of course, if you're in the hospital, you do have resources. They are readily available to help you as well. Um, you're going to have a hospital nurse uh, case manager or a social worker that can start you off um, with the basics to being able to choose a skilled nursing facility. Um, if you're at home, if you have a home care agency that you're working with or a hospice agency, of course, they're going to have social workers that can assist you also in that starting process. Um, another great resource is your primary care office. Many primary care offices do have nurse navigators that can help you and kind of get the ball rolling. Um, in the research for long-term care or skilled nursing facilities as well. And of course, in Wake County, we are very blessed by having multiple caregiver support agencies. Um, that is a free resource for um, families to be able to call upon as well. So once someone has narrowed down their choices by doing all their mm -hmm. research and they really like a facility that they've chosen, and now I hear the word bed availability. You know, you hear about mm -hmm. it if you're in the hospital. Mm -hmm. How hard is it to confirm a bed and how often do they turn over? Is it something you can wait for if you really love a facility? I would definitely suggest um, right now during the pandemic, if you find a facility that you're very interested in, I would definitely suggest to move forward as quickly as possible. With the changes with CMS and CDC, um, we kind of had to shift it a lot away the policies of how we go about admitting patients to the facility. Um, for example, typically when a patient is being admitted to a facility, whether they're coming from the community or they're coming from the hospital, they do go into a 14-day enhanced precautions um, unit, basically meaning they'll be in a private room for those 14 days. So whereas before typically you would see skilled nursing facilities with the majority of semi-private rooms, um, you're now looking at more private rooms. So we've had to reduce the capacity within skilled nursing facilities to be able to create those isolation units. Um, so if you find a bed, I would definitely suggest to go ahead and try to move forward as quickly as possible because they are limited right now with that reduced capacity. 
Those are some great tips. She is Wendy Marsden, Marketing Director with Capital Nursing and Rehab, which is part of Liberty Healthcare. If you want to find more about them online, be sure to head over to libertyhealthcareandrehab.com, libertyhealthcareandrehab.com. Wendy, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Mary and Jason. I I do appreciate being able to be part of your show today and hopefully being able to provide some education to your families at this time. Well, we appreciate that. And uh, always anything that can help out our WPTF audience and those who listen to Aging Matters is something that we appreciate as well. We're out of time for today, but we will be back with you next week, next Saturday at 4. Be sure to join us then for Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.